0: Sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. That's God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Well, we pray together and ask God's help as we look at his word this morning in Psalm 27. God, we are grateful you are here with us and we have the privilege of knowing you through your word. Our prayer is, God, that you might give us your spirit to understand the truth of what your word means and how we can put it into practice and that you might make us more like your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Psalm 27, calming the inner turmoil. Psalm Psalm 27 is a psalm of the heart, a psalm where the, the author here, King David, is talking about things that are going on in the inner person the inner man. The psalm does not have a to-do list, it has a to-believe list. And what he wants us to grapple with is what do we do in the storm, especially in this case, the storm is not occurring outside of us, it's occurring inside of us. And many of us know what this is like, we're going through something and inside is a turmoil of stress and worry and all kinds of things, and, and sometimes nobody else knows what's going on. They, you might describe what's going on in your life, and somebody says, wow, sounds like you have a great life. And on the inside, you're just a, a boiling cauldron of emotions. And this is where David is. And he says, what do I do that no one else can see what's going on inside? And how does the reality of my relationship with God intersect with the inner turmoil that I often experience just as a person living on a planet that has been broken by sin. So we're going to look at two ways. I'm going to give you the answers now so that way if you fall asleep, especially the VBS volunteers, there's a VBS volunteer next to you and they fall asleep. That is God working in their life. Let them sleep. (laughs) Calming the inner turmoil, verses 1 through 6, what do you believe about God? And then in verses 7 14, we will wonder, what do you believe God will do? Calming the inner turmoil, verses 1 through 6, what do you believe about God? Maybe you have seen this before driving around town. Maybe there's a place, a a well-known restaurant or convenience store that you know is terrible. It's awful. You went there once and you spent three days in the hospital. And everybody knows this is a terrible place. So what they do, at some point you may be driving by and hanging on the, uh, the sign out front is a big banner and that banner says, under new management. And this banner is an admission of failure, right? Isn't it? You're telling everybody, we, we did it wrong for decades and we hired somebody, they're going to do it different. So it's an admission of failure. Whether or not you stop your car and go in and walk under the banner that says under new management is determined by whether or not you believe that sign means something changed. If you believe that this new management is amazing, maybe you're going to give that burger a shot, see what happens, then you'll go in. But if you don't believe that sign and you don't actually think anything has changed, you're going to chuckle as you drive by. I say, oh, another incompetent manager that's going to make somebody else sick. Because what you believe results in what you think and do. And that's why here in verses 1 through 6, the psalmist David wants us to recognize that what we believe shows up, what we believe about God shows up in what's going on inside of us as we interact with the world and with God at the same time. And David is going to offer two suggestions. He wants himself and us as readers to trust God's power and also trust that God himself is desirable. Trust that God is powerful and trust that God himself is desirable. Pat read verses 4 through 6. Let me add on to that verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I Sacrifices with shouts of joy, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So David paints this picture in this poem. There's sort of two places he describes that he exists, and he exists in both of these places at the same time. One is on the battlefield. He describes being in a battle where all of his enemies are encamped around him. And so that's the one area he is existing. He stands in the midst of... Enemies and foes, those who want to destroy him and kill him. On the other hand, he also stands in the tent of the Lord, the tabernacle of God, the presence of God. And and in that place, he has the power and fellowship of God and God's provision. And what David is saying is both of these things are happening at the same time. He's not sometimes at war and sometimes with God. He is trying to figure out how do I have a relationship with God that is vital. "...as one who stands in the middle of my enemies." And his answer is, God is powerful, and God himself is desirable, above all other things. I wanted to point out a place in the Old Testament where this happens as as an example. It's in Exodus 33. Exodus 33, I think we'll have some of the words up on the screen. I'll begin reading it in a moment. I just want to give you the context of when this passage is occurring. Moses has gone up onto Mount Sinai, and he has had a conversation with God for like 40 days or something like that, and God has given to Moses the covenant, the promises of God that he gives to his people about how they have right relationship with God who has seen fit to redeem them out of slavery in Egypt. Now, while Moses is up on the mountain receiving from God his covenant promises, the people of Israel are engaging in a worship service. Now, they are not worshiping God, they are worshiping Satan, and they are engaging in worship through evil behavior. So, they are worshiping God through revelry and drunkenness and all kinds of sordid things that would go on, those kinds of things. So, this is what's happening. He's receiving from God God's covenant promises while people down below are worshiping the devil. That's a bad thing. Am I, are we clear that's bad? Okay. I couldn't tell from your reaction if you're like because you, normally you'd be like oh my that's terrible but you've probably heard the story before so you're less less shocked okay so moses then is interceding with god because what god told moses he said you know what here's what we're gonna do i go ahead go to the promised land you ought to go there because i told you you could go there i'm not going to go with you though because i'm worried i'm going to nuke you on the way You know, I'm worried that we're going to be wandering along and I'll accidentally, he's like, wipe you all out. Whoops, you're all dead. And God could do that. So God says, tell you what, you guys go to the promised land. I'm going to stay here. I'll send my angel with you. I'm going to stay here. That way you don't have to worry about getting burned up. So this is where Moses then responds to God in this conversation. Verse 12, it's on the screen. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, this is Moses, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God then replies in verse 14, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses said to God, listen, this is the key verse, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name of the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, God said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. The Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses comes to God, because God has said, You go ahead, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says, I thought I found favor in your eyes now why would Moses say such a bold thing because God had told him he had found favor and so all Moses was doing in this prayer was holding God accountable he said God you said I found favor and if I have found favor with you if you won't go with us we don't want to go think about this think about it God has told his people he will give them everything they want think about it and And Moses' reply is, I don't want it if you're not going. I don't want it. All that stuff that we're praying for, if you're not going with us, I'll die here, thank you. So that tells us something about Moses' relationship with God. He was not with God to gain the promised land. He was gaining the promised land because that's where God was going. And if God's not going, you can have the promised land. Now the reality is for most of us, If God would give us what we wanted and leave us alone, we would be perfectly happy with that. And Moses said, if you never answered another prayer I have, that's fine with me as long as I am in your presence. And so God gave Moses precisely what he wanted, which was an experience of his presence. God walked by and put his hand in front of Moses. How big a hand is that if it covers a whole guy? For God, that's small hand. He shrank down, so to speak. So Moses says, I don't want what you're wanting. I don't want anything you would offer me if you're not coming. Now also pay attention to the reality of what God is saying. I am giving you the promised land in spite of your sin. And the reason God is doing that is because he made a promise to them to have the promised land. And it didn't have to do with how good they were. It had to do with whether or not God keeps his promises. What do we believe about God? Here's what Moses believed to be true about God. If he has God, he has everything he needs. He believed that to be true about God. And that's what we see from David in Psalm 27. That's why he's got all these enemies around him, and he's got all these foes around him, and he says, you know what? If I have God's presence in his tabernacle, you know I'm good. I'm, I'm good to go. Look back at verses 1 through 3. Of Psalm 27 with that in mind the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear David is contrasting the reality of God's presence with the reality of what he feared did David fear scary things yes if you're defeated by an army the best thing that will happen to you is you will die the worst thing that will happen to you as the king is they would keep you alive and kill you slow Or kill your loved ones slow. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did to King Zedekiah. He kept him alive. He killed his entire family in front of him and then poked out his eyes. So the last thing he saw as a living person was his entire family killed in front of him. So the best thing that would happen to you if you were conquered is you would die. And so David had things in front of him that were, in fact, scary. But all he's doing is contrasting that with his relationship with God and saying, God is my light and my salvation. So so these fearful things are not as scary as God is worth having. David's confident was that God has power that is greater than any of the enemies his faith. And what he did was he recognized is the experience of his fear did not shed light on his ability to know what life is like. The experience of his fear told him, I need to get closer with my Lord. It told him, not that I need to, I've got a really good handle on what my life is like because I'm really, really scared. It told him, you know what, I need to get closer with my Lord because if I knew my Lord the way he actually is, I would, I would put these fears in their proper place. So we evaluated how he was exercising his faith in God by what was going on inside of him. These things are scary to have enemies in front of you, but the experience of life in God is greater. The Lord is my stronghold in my life, he says. That means his life is bound up in God. And his life is not ended when it ends. We see in verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 27, his sort of rapturous praise of God. One thing I've asked for is the Lord. David believed the best thing God could give him is his presence. If you're standing in front of a giant army, and they wanted to kill you nice and slow, What's the best thing God could give you? Victory over the army. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? That's the best thing. And David is, is painting this in a little bit different light. He is saying like Moses, no, no. The best thing I could have in this moment is God in his presence. And that's what David is describing here. And remember, David is not describing pretend fears. He spent most of his adult life running from people who wanted to kill him. He is saying, if I can have God's presence, I can have what I need. That's what I want more than anything else. Because God's presence, if I live, is God's glory. And God's presence, if, my, if I die, is God's glory. So David believed the best thing God could give is his presence. And David was pleased to have nothing else, nothing was better to him than to spend time with God. Let me wrap up these first few verses with this thought. Fear comes when we think God is weak or absent. There's more other, there's lots of reasons why, but I just want to focus on these two. Fear comes when we think God is weak. I've got big problems, I've got a small God. So fear pops up. But fear also pops up if God is absent. I've got a powerful God, but he's busy. I've got a powerful God, but he's on vacation. I've got a powerful God, but he has more important things to do. So fear crops up when when I think God is weak, or fear crops up when I believe God is is absent. And fear also crops up when the enemy comes up and whispers into your ear, God would really, really help you. And he really, you know, he's powerful to help you, and, and he wants to help you. But you know what the problem is? Boy, you really sinned this week. I mean, you blew it. You swung for the fences. I mean, you, you hit it out of the park. And so God would really help you, except you sin too bad this week, and so he won't listen to your prayer. That sounds terribly biblical, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound biblical? God doesn't listen to dirty, rotten sinners? What did Jesus do for his disciples on the night they were all going to betray him and run away from him? Let's have dinner together. Let me pray for you. Jesus says to Peter, you know, Satan is asked to, to sift you. If I was Peter, I would have said, did you tell him not to? Because what would Jesus say? I prayed that would go well for you. I prayed God would give you strength. How about pray he doesn't do it? But Jesus didn't. So, so the enemy comes in and says, since you aren't a really good Christian, God won't listen to your prayers. That's ridiculous. God doesn't listen to your prayers because you're a good Christian. First of all, I, I don't, I don't want to be rude. Yeah, I do. Um. You're not that good of a Christian. I don't know how to say that politely. Um, so if you're counting on God hearing your prayer because you're a good Christian, th- that's not going to go well for you. But if you're counting on your prayer- God hearing your prayers because you have a good Savior, that's going to go really, really well for you. Because that's what G- David is counting on. Mr. David and Bathsheba. Mr. David and uh, he took a census and had 70,000 people killed by the angel of the Lord. Mr. David and not a fantastic parent. This is the guy who is seeking God's favor, and God hears him. Fear comes within God when God is weak or absent, or when we believe the enemy, that God won't listen to someone like us. And, and when we, we fear, we, we get filled with fear when we wonder if God will give us what we want. And when we want something other than God, we get afraid. And what david says is i'm going to pull my eyes off of these horizontal desires and instead fix my eyes on a desire of god himself then i will know i will always have what i want by seeking the lord above all else jesus said it seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you calming the inner turmoil first question is what do we believe about god do we believe god is powerful sure we do Do we believe God is desirable, like Moses did, and like David did? I think that's where we trip up. God is desirable when he gives us stuff we want. God says, no, no, am I personally desirable for you? And when we want things other than God, that inner turmoil boils over. Calming the inner turmoil, verses 7 through 14. What do you believe God will do? i got a bit of an illustration for where I want to go with this, and I'm I'm really worried that it's going to offend people. And I always say that because now I know you're paying attention. (laughs) Sometime in March of, was it 2020? My wife and I went up to Seattle for a conference. Now, I don't know if you remember March of 2020. You remember that month? Some weird things were going down. When we took this trip, flew on an airplane, the people in front of us were sick. the epicenter of what was going on with COVID was in Seattle. Like 12 or 14 people had passed away in a retirement home up there. And it was in a town. That was the town we were going to the conference in. But down here in Medford, we were like, what? What's for dinner? That's it. So things hadn't really gotten a little kooky yet. And so we fly up there and we get there and we're checking in the hotel. And then we say, boy, things are a little strange up here in the Seattle area right now. And we say, you know, why don't we, there's Safeway right across the street. You know why don't we go over there and get some Clorox wipes? Let's wipe down this hotel room. We don't know what's going on here, so we're gonna sleep a little bit. let's give this place a wipe down. So we drive over to Safeway. Again, none of this was happening in Medford yet. We get to the cleaning aisle in Safeway. It, there's nothing there. It's empty. And we say, okay, something is going on. But here's the thing. Here's the part where you might get offended if you haven't already. Here we go. There's a section of cleaning supplies. And this is the section that is uh, handmade by bees, blessed by a Tibetan monk, hand, <laughs> hand filtered through organic cheesecloth, and and it this section was totally full. I mean, not just there were available products; it was blocked out to the edge, like there was. It was full. Like, they went in the back and started bringing out all these other products, and they filled it. When you wonder if you will get sick and die, what do you want? I want a bottle of bleach. (laughs) And I want to spray that on my food, and I'm going to, that's what I want. It's when we're not worried about anything. We're not worried. We don't care. So we're going to, I'm sure I'll try this other stuff. But on that day, when everybody in Seattle wondered, is there something going down that could kill me? What do they want? I want 99.9% of the germs dead. And the all-natural stuff was ready to go. <laughs> I bet you on the next day, they slash that stuff 50% off. Nobody's going to buy it. The question about what we believe shows up when everything's on the line. Now we know what we believe. In that moment, what people... Believed is bleach kills germs. So this inner turmoil, what I believe about God shows up in how I express my actions in that moment of turmoil. That reveals what I believe. I want to again show you just a quick example of this in the Old Testament. This is in Second Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 6. What has happened is the king Jehoshaphat had heard news that a massive army was showing up and was going to destroy Jerusalem. So here is what Jehoshaphat did. If any leader today did what Jehoshaphat did, we would vote him out of office so quick you wouldn't imagine. So here we go. Let's read it. Verse 5. I think it's just 7 or 8 or 30 verses. I can't remember. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah. So he called everybody together for a big prayer meeting. In the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, Are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hands are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it, and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine... We will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us. To inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now that's bodily stuff, and so you're not shocked by it. But if we were being invaded by a, an army, say Canada, <laughs> Canadians are storming the northern frontier. And the president gets on the thing and he says, let's all come together and pray. And, and we all would say, "Yeah, that's yes, and we're in. We're praying. The Canadian mounted army is, is coming in. And then the president says, let's pray. Because look at the end of verse 12. We don't know what to do. We have no idea what to do. What would we all say to that? We elected you to know what to do. Go find the guy that knows what to do. Hire the guy. Hire the consultant. There's got to be somebody who knows what to do. Because we know prayer works when you have a plan. And Jehoshaphat had no plan. Prayer was not to bless his plan. What was prayer in this moment? That was the whole plan. The whole plan was, we don't know what to do. And if I were in the audience, I would, uh, new king, please. Let's get a king who can help us here. Now, this we, we know. This is the kind of king Israel wanted. Remember, what was the song they sang about David and King Saul? King Saul has killed his thousands, and King David has killed his tens of thousands. So, what do we like? We like kings who lead us out into victory. And here's Jehoshaphat saying, "Yeah, I have no idea what to do. I hope this works out. Let's pray." So, the prayer meeting commences in verse 14. This is incredible. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. It didn't even come upon the king. Some guy, some guy stands up and says, oh, I got the spirit of the Lord. Oh, yeah. what does God have to say? He so, oh, we're going to win. We're not even going to have to fight them. We're supposed to just go out to where they are and we're going to find them all dead. So let's do that. And so what was the plan now? They prayed. The Spirit of the Lord answered their prayer. So what did Jehoshaphat do? He got his whole army together. And who did he put out front? The church choir. I know many of you have been to churches. That's a great idea. No, that is rude. (laughs) It's just just mean. That's just mean. Church choir is great. Nothing wrong with the church choir. But he puts the choir out front. And why do you put the church choir out front? he put them out front because what he was saying is I am going to praise God not for what he has done but for what I know he is going to do so he put the choir out front because what's going to happen when the choir gets invaded they've got nothing they're just the singers that is him saying I know God will hear because God is the one having the victory so as they went out the choir started singing and worshiping the Lord For not for what he has done he had not done anything yet and the Bible says you'll have to read it you can read it later 2nd Chron- Chronicles 20 it says while they were singing God destroyed the enemy so we have this crazy thing that's happening is God says I will do it but God also responds to the fact that Jehoshaphat believes God and what he believed about God led to what he did what he believed determined his action so when we have this inner turmoil What we believe about God will determine what we do. And that's what David did over in Psalm 27. Look at it quickly. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. David's plea is specific and it's filled with emotion. He says, God, I have sought you and I've sought you alone. And I expect that having sought your face, you will hear my prayer. David reasons that God is going to respond in prayer because God keeps his promises to his children. David didn't know what God was going to do, but David knew that whatever God did was the best thing to have happen. And so David expresses his reliance on the Lord. And if you remember, if you look at David's life, there are some things that went really, really well. There were also some things that went really, really terrible. So it's not to say that every time David prayed, everything went hunky-dory. But he knew if he sought the Lord, God would be with him and David would have his presence. And so he expresses this in this rapturous worship in verse 13. Look at it. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is one of my favorite Psalms, uh, verses in Psalms is verse 13. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that's a really nice way. Let me put it politely or nicely or try to. I don't do much politely. We can say, you know, I really want God to answer my prayer, but if He doesn't, I know I'm going to heaven. And what is David saying? Yeah, I'm getting heaven, but I'm, I expect to see God's goodness before I die. I, God's goodness is not for heaven only. Now, I don't know what His goodness is going to look like. So this was an expression of faith, that number one, God is going to be good in this life. Secondly, the goal is in my life to recognize that what God is doing is good, even though it may not be exactly what I wanted and David believed that God was going to show up in his life in a present way and in a powerful way and so he would make decisions based on what he believed about God fear comes when we feel like God isn't worth counting on and so therefore we just need to have really really good plans, since God can't be counted on to show up there's nothing wrong with making plans in fact the Bible is filled with plans one really huge plan God has made since the beginning of time to redeem sinners through Jesus, but we don't make plans to shore up our bets against the fact that God isn't going to show up. What we must do is we must trust that what God is doing is good, and He always hears, and what God does is the best thing. Calming the inner turmoil. What do you believe about God, and what do you believe God will do? Uh, Three quick ideas, and then we'll close. I promised the hamburger chef I'd try to be on time you know what gossip is don't act like you don't varsity gossip is when you allow what somebody says about somebody else who's not present to change what you think about that person gossip is when I allow somebody in front of me to tell me something that changes my view about somebody who's not here now gossip is always wrong it's evil Do we know that do I need we're not gonna do that right now what we need to do one of the reasons that we have a hard time trusting God is because we believe gossip about God that isn't true. We believe, God, we believe gossip that, that God doesn't really do good things for people. We believe gossip that God doesn't listen to sinners like us. Or certainly God listens to sinners, but not sinners like me. Because I do particularly bad things that God doesn't like. What we need to do is start knowing God by what his word says instead of the gossip about God. God is someone who is ever present with those who trust him, and he listens, and he he hears, and and he acts. And the reason we have all this turmoil is because we've been sold a bill of goods about God. He doesn't listen to people like us. He's generally cranky, and he only saved us because he promised he would, but if he could get out of it, he would. And none of that is true when you read his word. He is present. He is overjoyed to be with you and to hear you. Now, he may not do things the the way you want. But what David tells us, if we'll believe him, is what he does is good. Whether or not we'll believe it. Calming our inner turmoil. What do you believe about God? Is he good? What do you believe God will do? Just quickly on this, the when and what. Matters. I hate to use a sports illustration, no I don't, Um, because I love sports. Super Bowl 51, uh, the uh, New England Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady. Have you heard of this gentleman? (laughs) He was playing against the Atlanta Hawks. Eight minutes left in the third quarter. The score was 28 points. Atlanta, three points. New England Patriots. Everybody in Boston wanted to burn the Patriots to the ground at that point in the game, didn't they? They wanted to fire Brady. They wanted to fire Bill Belichick. If you don't know who these people are, you're fine. (laughs) And the Patriots make the greatest single comeback in Super Bowl history and beat the Atlanta Hawks in overtime. Go ahead, boo. I I know you, boo. (laughs) It's probably that moment where many partners started saying that Tom Brady is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So when and what matters. Eight minutes left in the third quarter, everybody was mad at the Patriots. At the end of to- overtime, everybody loved them. Greatest team of all time. That's what Boston goes, loses their mind. I'm surprised they didn't burn the city of the ground, right? So here's where we are. Where are we in the grand scheme of things? I, mean, I don't even know if we're in the third quarter. And we are peeved that God hasn't won this thing yet. First of all, already won. But we get so mad that God hasn't made life in a fallen world heaven. It's, we're not home yet. And we get, we get so upset that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Just like those New England Patriots fans in the third quarter, the Patriots are supposed to win. By a large margin, they were supposed to win. And that's where we are. We say, well, what's God up to? Well, it's just not the end yet. And so what matters and when matters? What do you believe God will do? Do you believe God is, number one, going to put all things under his control? Yes. And do we believe he's going to take everything in our life, the very bad and the very good, and wrap that all up into something glorious one day? Yes, we do. So what does that do inside of us? When we trust that's the case, it allows those 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 boiling waters to begin to calm a little bit. God's He's going to do this. It may not be today. It may not be next week. It may not be before my funeral. But I know for certain a day is going to come where he's going to bring this all to his glory. Okay, last thing and then we're, we're done. What do you believe God will do? And I don't mean to pick on anybody. Um, so if you feel like I'm picking on you, it was, Seth wrote this one. Um, we tend to think... If God would fix how I feel, I'm filled with sadness, I'm filled with worry, I'm filled with uh, depression, I'm filled with uh, hunger, I'm filled with whatever it is, the the inner turmoil, whatever that is for you. We tend to say, if God will fix how I will feel, I will be able to love him more. But what, what God is calling us to do in this moment is to love him more. And the reality is, no matter what changes about us, we will come up with ways not to express devotion to God. And, and it would be easy to say, if God would fix this thing about me or this thing about my circumstances, I would be able to love him more. And what God is calling us to do, he's saying, in this moment, in this moment, what does love look like for us? What it, what it, I, we, let's not think about what love is going to look like when things are different let's think about does devotion and worship of god look like today because one of the things god is doing in our life is he's not trying to make us good enough to give us good things he is trying to make us like his son jesus where no matter what is going on our devotion to him is whole that the circumstances are variable but our our devotion to god is not because of his covenant promises to us he's going to show us how to respond to the various circumstances we face in our life with faith. When we fail, he picks us up and holds us. And when we have victory, we give him the glory for bringing us along. Calming the inner turmoil in Psalm 27. What do you believe about God and what do you believe God will do? Lord, we thank you for the grace you have shown us in Jesus and we are grateful that we have a relationship with you because of the work of Christ on the cross. And we are grateful as believers today, Lord, that... Our, our relationship with you is dependent on your power, not on ours. And many of us, Lord, have, have believed the gossip about you too long, that you only hang out with good Christians. And you only, you only listen to Christians who are really polite and nice and holy. God, I pray that you would help us to trust your word, that you listen to those who have trusted Jesus for salvation. And you are a friend of sinners. God, I pray for those of us who right now, even in the midst of our circumstances, we would admit, maybe not out loud, but inside of ourselves, we have some level of anger towards you because of how things have gone. And God, I pray in that you would allow us to also trust that you can handle that. That you still seek relationship with us when we have inside of us a resentment and anger even towards you and god would you allow us through the power of your spirit to evaluate where we are in this life and to trust that one day you're going to bring this all to your glory and we will praise you for it and god many of us are in circumstances and situations that we are praying desperately that they would change and we are going to continue to pray that But Lord, if not, we pray we would see your goodness in the land of the living by giving us greater strength in Christ to worship you even during difficult times. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand up with us as we close with a song.